The creation itself shall be delivered from its bondage to corruption and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. As I think about the freedom that is to come, I'm reminded of a quote that I love from what has to be 60 years ago, but nevertheless, it was trying to get people to understand the responsibility we all bear to guarantee freedom, and that is this. Freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation, for it comes only once to a people. In other words, the life we all desire and the life to which we are headed does not and will not come automatically. There's work to be done and realities to be built and guarded by each of us. But, as has become an all-too-familiar reality, it's hard to find people to work. Nearly 50 years before that, G.K. Chesterton lamented over the same reality in his What's Wrong with the World, a fun little book. Originally, he was going to title it What's Wrong, and he would tell his friends, I'm going to run upstairs and do what's wrong. And they all looked at him funny, so he realized he needed to put what's wrong with the world. Um, but nevertheless, his laments, as he wrestled with this dynamic, going, what's wrong? And part of his answer was that both religion and politics love to spout out ideals, but they stop working towards their ideals before the world can benefit from them. So what's wrong with the world isn't religion or politics, per se, but rather the people spouting out religion and politics aren't living out and up to the ideals of their espoused religion or politics. People will sign up and talk about it, but once the work becomes too demanding, it becomes someone else's problem and responsibility. Now this morning, we do not want to talk politics, and there's no reason, because religion is just as much at fault for our current predicament. Of religion, Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. A lot of people have heard Jesus' call and began to follow him. But then, instead of personally putting in the work to become men and women who truly love God and truly love their neighbor, they made it to a church pew and said, whew, this is far enough. And the world suffers because of it. If we really want to see where the hammer gets dropped and people walk off the work site, look no further than our gospel reading this morning. Because we all know that Jesus is building a church, as he told Peter, and that, as Peter told us, people are to be that church's living stones. 
Today's reading says that not just any kind of stone will do when building Jesus' church. Only the ones which Jesus has shaped into being generous and forgiving will suffice for that temple to be built. If we want to be a part of his church that brings heaven's ideals to earth, making them a reality, we will have to allow him to chisel off the parts that do not fit. Like freedom, revival and spiritual blessings are not inherited. How many of you have tried to pass on your faith to your children only to have it fall on deaf ears? It can't be inherited. The only thing that's handed down, the only inheritance, is the testimony of those who have gone before us who tell us what practices procure them to be handed down to us. We simply have to choose to follow their good examples or not. The saints before us followed Jesus all the way. But we too often want to set our tools down and say, I've come far enough. I'm merciful enough. I've given enough. I've forgiven enough. And because of it, the temple we were going to be a part of never gets too far off the ground. Yet, Jesus doesn't call us to do anything he has not done. He doesn't espouse things he himself isn't willing to work toward. And so it is, it is as the way, the truth, and the life that he calls us to begin judging life according to his truth. Not our own personal truth, and not according to our own standards, but his truth. And as many of us know, speaking the truth, even when it's done in love, according to what Paul told us to do, even that causes many of our temporal activities and acquaintances to be chiseled away from our lives. And for some people, that's too much to bear. They would want to keep their mouth shut over certain realities, and therefore those temporal things never get removed so that eternal things can begin to be built upon. But as we live out the gospel truth, and even speak it when it's uncomfortable, it will naturally be bringing us together with others who have discovered that same truth, and the temple can be built. Jesus, as the one who saves us from our sins, the sins we have committed against God simply calls us now to save others from their sins that they have committed against us. Not perpetually rubbing it in their faces, as we are so prone to do, I mean, I got some friends that their only identity is the list of what everybody has done to them wrong. But we don't get to do that because Jesus says that's not what we're building. That has to be removed from your life. If you are going to hold on to that piece of your life, the temple can't be built because it won't fit up against that other brick. When you say, I will not forgive you from that, I'm better than you for that, you're naturally preventing the temple from being built. And Jesus says, don't give up. Keep working. And then, so not only with truth, not only with forgiveness, he tells us to be generous. But 
it's not just telling us to do it. He himself did it. As the one who emptied himself of unfathomable riches so that in becoming poor, we might become rich, he calls us to quit squandering our temporal resources on self-indulgent gratification and to become generous towards those eternal things. No better example of that than the shrewd servant in Luke 16. He figured it out, and we're called to figure it out, because this is the work we are to spend and be spent in, according to that old hymn, we sang it a few weeks ago, answering his call and allowing him to chisel away our judgmentalism, our unforgiveness, and our stinginess until we are shaped into stones of forgiveness and generosity, cut to align with him and others. And it's hard work, and we'll be tempted to stop growing in those areas. This, of course, is the most adequate understanding of why a person becomes a disciple of Jesus, why they would begin submitting to him as their master. It is an apprenticeship to become like him, or in other words, to be shaped into his likeness. For the hour cometh and now is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Amen.